Good morning. A picture is worth a thousand words, or so we've been told. It's certainly true that sometimes words just aren't enough to communicate some truth. Sometimes a picture would be incredibly helpful. For example, this past week, we took my son Kevin out for dinner to celebrate his graduation from college. And I'm looking at the menu and came down to three what looked like very delicious meals, but the words just weren't enough. And I found myself looking around the room trying to see what they looked like before I ordered. I wanted a picture. Or perhaps you can relate to this. A couple of years ago, I was helping my father set up some technology. This was during COVID. Now, my parents live in uh, Willow Valley, a retirement community in Pennsylvania. And so I couldn't go there, couldn't be with them, couldn't see what he was seeing. But he decided to set up Acorn streaming service on his smart TV during COVID. It took literally weekly calls for two months to set that up on his smart TV. And I so wished I could see what he was seeing. At other times, though, I think a picture is absolutely essential. I work as an engineer in New York City. And this past week, uh, one of our field engineers gave me a call from the field while watching some construction and tried to explain a problem that was going on on site. I wasn't there. She was. And she's trying to explain this to me, and, and we're just not getting each other. So I said, hold on, why don't you send me a quick little sketch and a photograph? And the moment I saw the photo, I knew exactly what the problem was. See, in moments like that, a picture is invaluable. And I think that the saying grossly underestimates the value of pictures. Now, for the parents in the room, maybe this is a, an example you can relate to. Legos. They come in this box of loose bricks. And yet, they're supposed to form that picture on the right. In this case, an X-wing. How do you get from loose bricks to an X-Wing? Well, Lego knows you need pictures. And so they provide instruction manuals in the form of pictures. There is not a word on the page. They know you just need to see it. Well, what if we're building something more complicated? Now, this is the world that I live in as an engineer. We build off sets of drawings, and drawings are just series of pictures. And normally a project requires multiple sets of drawings to build everything. So now you've got thousands of pictures to help you build one project. Imagine the number of words it would take to describe everything that's on all those sets of drawings. Words simply fail. And it's in situations like that that pictures are inestimable, inestimable, invaluable, and cannot be counted.
Now, what does this have to do with our sermon? Well, I believe that this passage this morning, Paul does just that for us. He gives us pictures of godliness in the form of two men. Now, it's interesting to me that he spent two chapters preaching to the Philippians, and he's got two more to go. And yet, in the middle, he stops his message to talk about two men. Why does he do that? Well, Paul's been talking about some really heavy stuff coming up to this. He's talked about his passion for the gospel, that nothing else matters more than advancing the gospel. He's talked to the Philippians, challenging them to live a life worthy of the gospel. He's talked about his own passion to exalt Christ, whether in his life or in his death. He's challenged them to follow the example of Christ, even to obedience to the point of death on the cross. And just last week, we saw Paul challenge the Philippians to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling. And I can imagine the Philippians at this point saying, Paul, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Who lives like this? And so Paul takes some time before moving on to give them a picture of what these things look like. He takes the very themes that he's been preaching and shows them in two men that the Philippians would have known well. So turn with me to chapter 2, and let's read together verse 19 to 30. I'll read aloud, and you can read along silently with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I pray that you would speak from your word. Remove the distractions from our minds. Help us to focus on what you're saying to us. May your Holy Spirit impress upon us 
the message you have for us. Challenge and apply that to our hearts. Lord, we trust as you promised that your word will not return void. So we ask that you speak and we will listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in this passage, there are three ways that Timothy and Epaphroditus provide pictures of godliness. First, being on mission for the sake of the gospel. Second, to live with purpose to the glory of God. And third, serving in humility in in, uh, submission to others. We're going to start by looking at being on mission. And for each of these, what I'm going to do is trace how Paul has preached this message this particular principle, and then how it shows up in both Timothy and Epaphroditus, okay? So let's start being on mission for the sake of the gospel. Let's see how Paul has been preaching this message to the Philippians. First, in chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the context here is that Paul's in prison, and the Philippians are concerned about him. And Paul tells them, no, actually, really what's happened is the gospel is advanced. And people have been encouraged to spread the gospel too. Some for good motives and some for bad, just to make trouble for Paul. And this is Paul's response to that situation here in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this... I rejoice. Now, you notice that this is the only thing that mattered to him. Others are preaching to make trouble for him, and what does he say? So what? Who cares? The only thing, the important thing, was that the gospel was advanced. The gospel went out. And that shaped his entire perspective. See, Paul knew his mission was to preach the gospel. There he was in prison. He knew God put him there too. So he looked around and said, it's time to preach. That guy's here. I'll preach to him. This is what shaped Paul's entire ministry. He also saw this in the Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 5, he's encouraged by their partnership. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, But he doesn't leave it there. He never diminishes or minimizes their partnership with him. But in chapter 1, verse 27, he calls them to something more. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's calling them to live out this worthiness of the gospel. He wants them to adopt this same mindset towards the gospel themselves we also see this in timothy so turn with me to chapter 2 verse 22 and here we read but you know that timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel now that phrase as a son with his father is a reference to apprenticeship Because a son would learn his trade from his father. And Paul, as Timothy's spiritual father, is teaching Timothy the gospel ministry. 
Timothy was serving right alongside Paul in the work of the gospel. And so he shared the same mindset as Paul because it's being trained into him. And so it shapes his entire ministry as well. Timothy's life is on mission because the gospel is the most important thing in his work as well. And you notice that Paul says he's proved himself. Timothy has a proven character and effective ministry. You see, Timothy was there at Philippi from day one. He had been part of founding that church, joining Paul's ministry just before he arrived in Philippi. They knew Timothy. They had seen his life. They had seen the way he ministers. It also says he he has proved himself, communicates that he is fully qualified himself, no longer just an apprentice. He's fully trained. He's ready to be released on par with Paul's ability in the gospel ministry. And so Timothy is a good candidate to send and a good example to follow. That leads us to Epaphroditus. So let's take a look at verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, Paul issues a threefold commendation from his perspective. He calls him my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier. He calls him a brother because Paul is confident in his faith that Epaphroditus loves the Lord and has a relationship with him, seriously growing in his faith. He calls him a co-worker because he is engaged, Epaphroditus is engaged in the gospel ministry right alongside of Paul. And he calls him a fellow soldier because he's not just preaching the gospel, he's contending for the faith on the front lines. Epaphroditus is not just there to help Paul with his physical needs. He is actually out in the field preaching the gospel with Paul. There's also this twofold commendation from the perspective of the Philippians, where Paul calls him their messenger and the one they sent to help him. Well, messenger is actually the word apostle, used not in the sense of the 12 apostles in that formal sense, but in the sense of one being sent. You see, Epaphroditus is one of them. He's from Philippi. They knew him well because he's one of their own. Now today, what do we call someone who is sent, financially supported for the purpose of gospel ministry? We call them a missionary. Epaphroditus is the Philippians' missionary to Rome, serving with Paul. Now, the other word, sent to help with their needs, is the word minister. And so, Epaphroditus is also minister to Paul. Sure, he's there meaning, meaning to help him with his needs, but it means much more than that. He is a minister of the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel with Paul 
And he's a partner in actually advancing the gospel in Rome. And so we see in Epaphroditus that the gospel is everything to him. In fact, he sacrificed to go, giving up of himself when others couldn't. Take a look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 30. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. He went when others couldn't. And he risked his life to stay. He sacrificed to stay because of his illness. It was that important to him to advance the gospel. And so we see in both Timothy and in Epaphroditus a picture of what it means to be on mission for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, we see there are pictures of godliness in living with purpose to the glory of God. Take a look at verse 20 and 21 with me in chapter 1. Again, this is Paul's message. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is always the way that Paul lives. Now, as always, Christ would be exalted in his body. This is his overarching, life-defining purpose. Now, purpose is different than mission. Mission is what we do. Purpose is why we do it. It's the motivation behind absolutely everything. And this purpose defines Paul's life. And see, there was never a time when he couldn't glorify God. It could never be taken away. He would give absolutely anything to achieve it, pay any price, even his life. That's what he's saying. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 17, just last week, we read this. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Being poured out, completely spent for the sake of the gospel, for the work of Jesus Christ. And it's the very reason for his joy. Because regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost, he is achieving his greatest purpose in the world to glorify Christ. Nothing else mattered to him. And so he could always, always achieve his highest purpose. We see the same in Timothy. We'll turn to chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says of him, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
First, take a look at that phrase, no one else like him. That phrase literally means same sold. One word in Greek, same sold or like-minded. And it links back to chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, where Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It also shows up in Philippians 2.2, where Paul says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, same sold, and of one mind. Paul's making that connection. He's saying that Paul and Timothy are on the same wavelength. They're, they're intimately connected at the level of the soul in this purpose. And what does that look like for him? Well, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, he lives all out for Jesus Christ. The opposite of looking out for his own interests is not looking out for others' interests, but looking out for Jesus' interests. He looks at a circumstance and says, what in this would Jesus be concerned about? And then responds accordingly. He wants what Jesus wants in everything. Reminds me of a song from a number of years back by Brandon Heath called Give Me Your Eyes. And I've been having trouble reading it on the screen, so I'm going to turn around. <clears throat> Step out. On the busy street, see a girl and our eyes meet, does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work, he's buying time, all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. That's Timothy's heart. He wants to see the way Jesus sees. He wants to respond the way Jesus does. And that is living for Christ's glory. He is interested in pursuing Jesus' interests to the detriment of his own. He is all in for Jesus. Epaphroditus is similar. Like Paul, he is willing to be poured out. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. Why is he risking his life? It's for the work of Christ. There is nothing more important to him 
he is willing to pay any price, even his own life. Serving Christ for him came first, even above himself. Three times in this passage, it talks about him almost dying or risking his life. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 27. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. Again, in verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. That phrase in verse 30, almost died, is literally to the point of death. That phrase occurs elsewhere in this same letter, in chapter 2, verse 8, regarding Jesus Christ. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Same phrase, even death on a cross. You see, Paul is making an intentional connection between what Jesus did and what Epaphroditus did. He's communicating to us that Epaphroditus is imitating Christ and his dedication to obey the Lord. He is willing to obey even to the point of death because his purpose is to live for the glory of Christ at any cost. And so we see in both Timothy and Epaphroditus this same life with purpose to live for the glory of God. That leads us to our third point, serving in humility and submission to others. Serving in humility and submission to others. Again, we'll bounce back to what Paul taught and then see how it's exemplified. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. You see, Paul is calling them to unity here. And he says, if any of these things are true in any amount... Even just a little bit of these, then unity is crucial. If you just have a little bit, which by the way is true of absolutely every believer, then unity is essential. And how is that unity achieved? That's found in the next two verses. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. How is it achieved? Through humility. And NIV has it right here in verse 4. Most other translations add the word only. As in, not only looking to your own interests. Only does not occur in Greek. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying, do not look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. And if all of us did this, 
then each of us would have hundreds of people looking after us. But we're so scared to let go of looking out for our interests. That is the kind of humility that Paul is calling us to, to abandon our interests and to look after others. And the term, he says, value others better than yourselves. Value, that's an accounting term. He's making a value statement here. And if there was any doubt of the kind of humility Paul is talking about, he immediately points us to Christ in chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And by way of reminder, that means obedience to the point of death. That's the kind of humility that Paul is preaching. We see that same kind of humility in both Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Timothy shows up in chapter 2, verse 20. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. See, Timothy is unique in his mindset here that he is genuinely, truly concerned about them, even to the detriment of his own interests. It's the real deal. And it's unlike most others. He is willing to set aside his own interests and instead look after them. Exactly mimicking what Paul just said in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We also see it in Epaphroditus 2.26, Paul says, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. And again in verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. Now, we don't know what caused this illness or when it happened. Could have happened on the trip over. Could have happened because conditions in the prison. Could have happened because he overworked himself out in the mission field. We don't know. What we do know is he was so sick that he almost died. And that near-death experience was very real for him. Yet in his illness, what is his concern? He longs for all of you. And is distressed because you heard he was ill. He doesn't care if he's going to die. He cares about them. He's concerned about what will happen to them. Now, where have we heard this before? Well, it's just like Paul in chapter 1, verse 22. He says of himself, If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is exactly what Epaphroditus is thinking. This is his mindset doesn't care if he dies. That would be great for him. What he cares about 
It's what would happen to the Philippians. Even in his illness, nearing death, he's concerned about others. He's risked his very life for them. And so we see in both Timothy and Epaphroditus pictures of what serving in humility looks like. Being willing to give up absolutely everything, even their own life, in interest of others. So we see in these three men, or these two men, pictures of godliness, what it means to be on mission for the sake of the gospel, what it looks like to live with purpose to the glory of God, what it looks like to serve in humility and submission to others. But just seeing the picture is not enough. Paul is calling us to something more. Chapter 2, verse 29, he says of Epaphroditus, So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Well, honoring people like him includes submitting to their leadership. And Paul has been exalting these two men as godly leaders. He's saying these men are worthy of respect and submission. Paul can't be there. He's stuck in prison. But he's going to send Epaphroditus with this letter. And he's saying to the Philippian church, this is your leader. Listen to him. Then followed by Timothy. And finally, Paul hopes to be there too. And Paul is saying, look, they deserve your respect. But honoring them also includes following their example. He calls us to be like them. And if there's any doubt in chapter 3, verse 17, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, Paul says this, Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. These two men live as we do. He's calling us to follow them as they follow Christ. To follow their example, we need to be like them. Paul is showing us how to live through these examples that the Philippians knew very well. People just like them. Paul is calling them. They've been his partners in the gospel ministry, but Paul is calling them to something more, to become more and more like Christ, to live with purpose, to be on mission, to serve in humility. He's also calling us to find and follow the examples of godly men and women like them, that we would be on mission for the sake of the gospel, that we would be living with purpose to the glory of Christ, that we would be serving in humility and submission to others. That we would find and follow godly people just like this and become one ourselves. 
I am so grateful for the pastors that we have here. These are godly men who follow the Lord, serve Him faithfully. They are examples of these three principles. I thank God for them. I'm also thankful for my small group, some of which are here. I love you guys. You guys help me to be more and more like this. I have not arrived, but I love that we are striving to do this. And I love that you help me in that walk. You see, when we, when we do this, unity and joy will follow. Because they, there will be one purpose in us all to live for the glory of God. We will have one mission to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will be one community serving each other in humility. And when we do that, we will always, always be accomplishing our highest purpose. Unified in these things, accomplishing what God has called us to do, and thus rejoicing together. And as we do this, we picture Christ to our world. A world that desperately needs to see him. And so we must find and follow examples of godly men and women who live this way on purpose, on mission, serving in humility. And we must become one ourselves. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for the message that we, we have from you. I pray, Lord, that we would pursue this. That as we sung earlier, our lives would forever echo, holy is the Lord. That we would be living with purpose, on mission for the gospel, serving in humility, Lord. Show us how you want us to apply that and help us to live it. That we would picture Christ to our world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.